Welcome to Mrs. G Storytime. We are reading the book Betsy Ten Boom, Promise of God by Mike Evans with permission from Time Worthy Books and we are on chapter 26. The next day, shops in Harlem reopened as usual. After breakfast, I walked uptown to Shelton's Butcher Shop. A notice in the newspaper announced that pork was available. Meat was scarce and I wanted to get there before they sold out. As I entered the shop, I saw a German captain loitering near the door. He was not accompanied by any other soldiers, and I assumed he was there on his own. When on duty or official business, officers always traveled with three or four extra soldiers for protection, I suppose. Often in the evening, we saw them on the street alone or in the company of women. Corey and I assumed were prostitutes, though Papa chided us for our opinion. That morning, seeing an officer alone in the butcher shop, I concluded he was there in less than an official capacity. The way he leered at me as I came through the doorway told me I was correct. Paying him no noticeable attention, I made my way to the counter, took a quick glance in the meat case, and tore the correct coupon from the rationing book. Two pounds, I said, when that was my turn. Betsy, I can only give you one, Scouten replied. I nodded and glanced over my shoulder towards the door, wishing he hadn't said my name. A moment later, the officer appeared at my side. Good morning, Betsy, he said with a smile. I nodded in response, but said nothing. I am Otto Borman, he continued. Captain Otto Borman, at your service. Scouten handed me a neatly wrapped package of meat, and I turned away. Borman followed me to the end of the counter. Aren't you at least going to say good morning? I continued to ignore him, handed the store clerk my package. She calculated the charge, placed the package in a paper sack, and took my money. When she handed me the change, I picked up the sack and started towards the door. Borman followed after me. It's a lovely day for a walk, he said as he came along behind me, but again I did not reply. On the way back to the Bayet, he lagged behind me, never quite touching me, never quite leaving me alone. People glanced at us as we passed their eyes alert with interest, but they quickly looked away. We had learned early it was better to go unnoticed if you didn't want trouble from the Germans, which was what I tried to do at the shop. By the time I reached Papa's watch shop, I was thoroughly aggravated. Borman was older than most of the soldiers we'd seen, but he was certainly not as old as I. That he would follow me down the street with was nothing more than harassment. He could not possibly be interested in me or I in him. As I grabbed for the handle to open the door, Borman's arm came around my side and opened it for me. Then he held it while I entered. Once again, I refused to acknowledge even a polite gesture, but went straight upstairs to the kitchen and prayed he would not cause trouble. From the second floor, I listened, hoping to hear the sound of a door as Borman departed, but instead I heard the shuffle of his feet as he looked around the shop. You have a few watches left, he observed and I imagined him standing at the display case by the window where I knew three watches remained. Most of your competitors have sold out of their entire stock already. We received those last week, Corey replied, and I wondered why she would tell him that. You have connections for ordering more? Limited connections, Papa said. When it seemed Borman would not leave soon, I came down the steps to face him hoping that if I confronted him, he would see there was no use in pursuing me further. As I reached the first floor, I expected to address him face to face. 
but he was standing with his back to me and spoke to Papa. You were at the square yesterday with the Jews, causing trouble. I wasn't the one causing trouble, Papa answered. Oh, Borman arched his eyebrow playfully. Then who? Your soldiers. My soldiers are disciplined young men. They would never harm a civilian. They would do whatever you told them to do. Yes, Borman nodded. That is correct. They would do what I told them to do. He glanced around the shop once again, still apparently unaware of my presence. You like the Jews? He asked after a moment. They are God's chosen people. I side with him in their favor. God, Borman scoffed. You speak of him as if he actually exists. Oh, he exists, all right, Papa said with a smile. And the Jews are his chosen means of redemption. When you touch them, you touch the chosen people, Borman trotted, cutting Papa off, chosen to torment us and to die a miserable death. Papa looked away, but I could tell from the tension in his jaw that he was not happy. Borman turned to Corey and pointed towards the case. I'll take that one. She reached inside and carefully removed a watch. The casing was made of gold and the movement came from Switzerland. It was the finest watch we'd had in a long time. Borman took it from her hand and bounced it on his palm and then looked over at me. This is a good watch. Far too good for you, I replied. He shook his head and sighed. One day you will learn that the Jews are our enemy. Yours and mine. His eyes met mine. They will bring us only misery. If you bless them, I replied, God will bless you. The muscles in Borman's neck flexed and I could see the veins along his temple throb. He stood there for a moment as if thinking of what to say or do. Then he shook his head once more and said with disgust, Let me buy this watch and leave before I do something I might regret. Quicker than I'd ever seen him move, Papa came from behind the desk, snatched the watch from Borman's hand. I will never sell you anything, he snapped. Leave my property at once. Borman's eyes flashed with anger, but I could tell from the way the corners of his mouth turned up that he was more than a little amused by the notion of an elderly man standing up to a powerful German soldier. I could shoot you now, old man, he chuckled, and no one would ask why. You could shoot me now and lose your own soul, Papa retorted. That response caught Borman off guard, and in a slow, deliberate fashion, he turned toward the door. As he opened it to step outside, he glanced once more in Papa's direction and smirked. An old man like you should be careful. He does not make an enemy of a man like me. Not long after our encounter with Captain Borman, Rabbi Prince returned. His already infrequent visits had become more and more erratic since the occupation, and we were all glad to see him. Accompanying that day were a dozen young men, each of them carrying a tall stack of books. I could see them out the window as they stood outside the shop door while Prince came inside. Corey greeted him, but Prince brushed past her. I heard him as he made his way to Papa's desk, and in a heavy whisper he said, I have a favor to ask of you, Casper. It is a most serious matter. Without a word, Papa scooted back his chair, rose from his seat at the desk, and started across the shop. Moments later, he appeared at the bottom of the staircase with Prince right behind him. As he grasped the handrail and turned towards the first step, Papa noticed the young boy standing outside. He studied them a moment and then looked over at Prince. They're with you? That is my favorite, Prince smiled. 
Tell them to come inside. They should not be seen out there. Friends opened the door and directed the boys inside. They crammed into the shop, and I heard Corey showing them places to stack the books. Before they settled, Papa started up the steps towards the second floor, and Prince followed. When they reached the top of the stairs, Papa led the way into the parlor, where he took a seat near the piano. He crossed his legs and rested his hands on his lap, while Prince took a seat next to him. When they were comfortable, Papa smiled and asked, How may I be of service to you? Prince cleared his throat and began, You remember Samuel Levi came to see you some time ago. Yes, Papa nodded, and he brought his cousin with him. Samuel told you about the treatment his relatives received at the hands of the Nazis in Germany. Papa looked puzzled. You know about that conversation? I talked to Samuel, Prince nodded. He told me. What of it? After the Nazis came to power, they sent all of Samuel's relatives to the camps. Every single family member known to him was sent away. Prince jabbed the air with his finger for emphasis. Three of them are dead now. Two have disappeared. He told us something about it, Papa agreed. But I didn't realize everyone had been sent away. All of them, Prince said emphatically, and the same thing has happened to my family. All of my relatives were turned out of their homes where they have lived all their lives, homes where their fathers and mothers had lived before them, and they were forced to leave everything behind when they were sent away. What the Germans found useful they took, the rest they burned, books in particular. I had heard of the book burnings in Berlin, Papa added. Prince took Papa's hands in his. They are coming for us here too, Casper, and it won't be long now. Yes, Papa nodded. I'm afraid you're right. I have lots of books, my friend. Prince had a worried look. Beautiful books, lovely books, sacred books. They are a treasure to me and to others. Papa's eyes opened wide in a look of realization. Leave them with me. That is the favor I came to ask, Prince said, and I could hear the relief in his voice. You need not ask. It will be my pleasure to guard them for you. Papa stood and started toward the hall. Tell them to bring the books up here, and I have a place to put them. With brief instructions from friends, the young men made their way upstairs and followed Papa to the attic, where he stacked the books in a corner. When they were all in place, he turned to Prince with a smile. They will be here when the trouble passes. I saw them there, two old friends standing by the attic door, staring at each other, wondering how many more days they had together. Prince had a sad smile, and it seemed as if there was much more he wanted to say. But instead, he said, "If I do not return, you will see that my books have a proper home." I will, Papa replied. Later that week, a truck stopped in front of Kahn's watch shop, just across the street from us, and a dozen German soldiers climbed out. Moving quickly, they rushed into the shop, and even though we were across the street and I was upstairs, the sound of screams and cries of anguish still reached us. We had talked about this moment earlier, and I'd already decided what I would do. I hurried down the steps towards the door, but as I reached for the latch, Papa called out to me, "Wait! We do not know what they will do. We cannot sit here and watch." I argued, "This is the very thing we have discussed." I reached again to open the door, but Corey grabbed me. "Going out there now will only get you in trouble," she said in a firm voice, even and serious, but not angry. It won't help the cons or anyone else. This is precisely why we decided this question already. I looked over at Papa. Don't you remember? Yes, but 
No, I snatched open the door. You can't protect me from this. In my heart, I was committed to acting, doing something. Anything seemed better than nothing. But as I turned to leave the shop and started across the street, I saw two soldiers, one on either side, dragging cons from his shop. They held him beneath his armpits and his feet dangled in the air, barely touching the ground. With no regard for him at all, they threw him into the back of the truck and one of them shouted, Stay! While another stood guard, rifle in hand, ready to shoot. Moments later, they returned with Greta, Khan's wife, and did the same to her. I watched, unable to move, my feet frozen in place, fear clutching my soul. For the next twenty minutes, soldiers moved in and out of the shop, tossing chairs and tables onto the truck. Greta watched in horror, mouth agape, tears streaming down her cheeks, and she darted from piece to piece, straightening them, stacking them, arranging them carefully in place. And all the while she cried out, Why? Why? Why are you doing this to us? Finally, as the soldiers seemed to reach an end, Papa came to my side, took me by the elbow. Come, he said gently, it's not good for them to see you. Reluctantly, I let him lead me back inside. I felt so ashamed at my inaction, and when the door was closed and I was safely inside, I took a seat on the steps at the bottom of the staircase, wrapped my arms around my waist in agony, and wept. A few days later, a truck returned to Khan's old shop. Corey and I watched from the window upstairs. Workmen climbed from the cab, and a car came to a stop behind it. A tall, slender man stepped out from the rear door. He wore a German army uniform, and I recognized him immediately. That is Captain Borman. A soldier who followed you home from the meat market? Yes, I nodded. As we watched, a man and a woman emerged from the opposite side of the car. Corey pointed out the window. That's Cornelius and Juliana Mussert. We knew them from St. Bavos. He worked for the railroad, and she was a seamstress. They lived on the east side of town. Vocally anti-Semitic and decidedly pro-Nazi, the Mussets had become active in the National Socialistic Party when it was formed in 1931. Anger rose inside of me as I watched them strutting along the sidewalk, smiling and admiring their new location while workmen unloaded furniture and boxes from the truck. In my mind, I saw images of the cons in the back of a similar truck, frantically trying to hold on to their lives as the Germans shredded it from before them. Next week will be Chapter 27. I love you. I'm praying for you and praying for this nation as well. Bye-bye for now.